kids come as babies and then grow up and become scholars themselves at ICA, the number of people who've built their entire social strata around ICA is, yeah. is really stunning and, and really heartening. I mean, it's, it, it's so important to me to, to preserve that and to make sure that it becomes even more inclusive, you know, as we go along. So more and more people can feel that way and have that community. Hello world. You're listening to SpartyCast. Hello and welcome to SpartyCast. I am Dr. Robbie Rattan, Prof. Robbie, the Robster. No one's ever called me that. Rabindra. <laughs> this is episode 38 with Laura Sawyer, Executive Director of the International Communication Association. She is awesome. I have thought she was a great leader for the organization ICA ever since I met her. I've also thought she's pretty cool. <laughs> I didn't mention that during our conversation, but I hope you uh, see that that she's a pretty cool person. She's she's relaxed. She's poised. She knows how to steer the ship that is our thousand member organization, run conferences, manage the journal. And she shares about that in this episode. She talks about how she came to the organization. She used to be an actor and then she uh, eventually found her passion for leading associations. She, she's certified as an association executive, then talks about how the organization really works. What? How do you make a successful 3,000 person conference and how do you grow the association and how do you interact in, in an international context in ways that support scholars around the world who, who are uh, from different backgrounds socioeconomically? How do, you, how do you be more inclusive as an association? How do you, how do you run, run the day-to-day? -day? Who's the executive committee? The president eject. That's a fun term I learned, which you'll learn if you listen to this episode. Oh, and if you're a, a student or junior scholar in the field of communication or a related field and you're interested in ICA, this is a great episode. She gives some tips about how to succeed in kind of utilizing the association for your career. I hope you enjoy the episode. I certainly enjoyed recording it with Laura. I'm grateful to her for her time. She's very busy. <laughs> There's a lot of a lot on her plate. So yeah, enjoy this episode. Here we are. Laura Sawyer. So nice to have you on SpartyCast in so nice uh, to be here. In yoga pants. In yoga pants. <laughs> <laughs> Only we the best for you, Robbie. I appreciate it. Yeah. I'm I'm also um informal and we were just talking about how nice it is to be able to do these things informally and yeah. We've never actually like I think sat down and had a chat um, over over a meeting though we've interacted so much over the years. You are yeah, you're one of my favorites, and I yeah we've never even like had a drink at conference or anything. Now you've told the world. Um, I know you're gonna be like oh <laughs> mm -hmm, I see he got a good time on the schedule. Now we know why. <laughs> yeah, so so you're the executive director of the International Communication Association. Indeed. And I've known you since you started. Uh, I think I was still a student when you started. Was that in 20... 2016? Okay. 2016. January of 2016. Oh, wow. Okay. No, I wasn't a student. I'd been in the, in the professor 
thing for a few years. Um, I just look like I've been around longer because my hair went gray. During the pandemic, so you just assumed. <laughs> no, it's, it's, I feel like um, you've been such an integral part of the organization and my memory of the organization for so long it's and it's my main organization that's it's my Yay. academic identity yeah um, I always love to hear that yeah of course I remember as a grad student and and so we do have grad students who listen it was so funny recently with some of the uh the applicants for our program they're like oh, I've listened to your podcast multiple episodes I'm like what really um <laughs> yeah I guess I guess some didn't people realize you were a recruitment tool Exactly. And then this could be a recruitment tool for ICA because as a grad student, I yeah. learned you got to kind of choose one repeated conference and then you can, you know, yeah. dabble and you can dabble in the other ones. But ICA is really, I mean, come on. Why would you not choose ICA? So how did you choose ICA? Oh, <laughs> so interestingly, I have a very uh, sort of non-traditional background for what I do. Um, I was a professional actress for many, many, many years. <laughs> Even you are surprised by this. I got my, my grad degree is in English literature, but I was a working actor in Chicago for 15 years. I was in the union. I was a stage actor and TV. Did you work? Um, what's that one called? Second street? Um, where no, like second city? No, that's second improv. City. That's like, okay. Um, that's a totally different skill set, really. Some people do both, but improv and acting are very, um, different groups of people and sure. skill sets. So okay. I don't, I'm not that great at improv. <laughs> I think, I think um, you're hilarious, but go on. Thank you. I had a day job, right? air quotes, day job as a temp. And I, I started a long-term temp position to support myself because acting doesn't pay that much unless you're, you know, Keanu Reeves or something. You know, I was like 20 and started temping and I got this long-term temp job to be the receptionist and membership person at an association. It was a medical association and their person was going to be gone for two months uh, to Australia. She was Australian. So I filled in for her and they liked me so much that they asked me to stay on permanently. So that started an 18 year career at that place. And when I decided to have children, I had to decide like, you can't have two jobs. <laughs> you have to pick one of them. I picked the one that had the more longevity and insurance and things like that. So 22 year old me made a pretty good decision early on that then I, I stopped acting when I was 32 and um, had my first child. So yeah, the rest is history. I made this my career instead of being just my day job long ago. And so then I went back to school and got certified in um, as a certified association executive, a CAE credential, which is something that only, that ICA had put on its um, lucky me had put as one of the prerequisites for the position is something that my predecessor, Michael Haley had had. And so they understood that that was important. Um, certified associate executive. Association executive. Association, sorry. Mm -hmm. Association executive. So you have, it's kind of like, um, <clears throat> I mean, it's a full day test that you sit for. It's like sitting for, you know, becoming a CPA or, you know, it's just a professional certification. I called it sitting for the, like sitting for the bar once and my lawyer father was like, ha it can't possibly be as hard as that. Uh, <laughs> so I'll never make that mistake again. Yeah. It's a lot of, you know, like there's my job requires knowing a lot of stuff about adherence to nonprofit, nonprofit legal yeah, stuff. And yeah, all the adherence to tax rules and employment law and things like that. Yeah. Super wow. fun stuff. And people don't always pass on the first try, but I did. So, you know. <laughs> 
<laughs> brushing of off course. my shoulder. Um, nice. I worked at the at the medical association for 18 years, and then I went to I moved to DC. There must be many association headquarters in DC. Yeah, actually, Chicago and DC are the two capitals of nonprofit work in the United States. So I went from one to the other. DC has a ton. So I moved because, so I fell in love and got remarried and had a second child and we wanted to be near grandparents. So we moved for personal reasons to the DC area. My husband works in government uh, relations. And so (laughs) I, I, I had a situation where I could, I could work remotely for that job, which wasn't normal at the time. So I had to take something very quickly. And I ended up working at a dance organization, a nonprofit community organization, which was very fulfilling in many ways, but was not a great fit for me. And I think I probably started looking for what became my ICA job the second day I work at that job. (laughs) Because I thought the arts would be a great fit with my background, but it just turned out that I am much too um, focused on like doing things the right way to be involved with that particular organization. So, so ICA, when I saw the, when I saw the, uh, the description, the job description for ICA pop up, I was like, it's like they, I took it to my husband. I said, they wrote this for me. Like they literally described me on paper. Um, What about it? Um, Not not just kind mm -hmm. of the logistical side, but also an interest in communication and kind of. Yeah. So my I mean, my undergraduate degree is in comm, but it had been more of a, you know, the performance side, arts and communication sort of performing arts side of it. But I had done a lot of comm work in my undergrad and my master's was in English English lit, lit. I had always had to sort of like in the medical field, I'd had to kind of apologize that that's what it was in because <laughs> it wasn't in science or whatever something about the job description and the way it was written said you know there's a lot of writing and and we embrace you know a liberal arts background and a I don't remember exactly how they said it but I was like oh my god like my actual degree is an asset rather than um a point of embarrassment apologize for yeah yeah So yeah, that was great. I mean, it wasn't just that it was like everything about it, but um, it just seemed like the kind of place that, that I would fit in and where all my skills would be put to the best use. And and that has been absolutely true. That has borne out. And I love, I mean, when I met all the staff, it just, it just really clicked. That's great. That's great. That's a really interesting story. The lesson is if you're a graduate student in the field of communication, you probably shouldn't aspire uh, to be your successor, <laughs> to be Laura's successor, uh, <laughs> because, well, you'd have to go do the CAE thing, but yeah, <laughs> but, but you could actually, if, if, uh, if you have a passion and an interest, you come from the arts and comm yeah. background and, and want to support the organization. But um, yeah, it's interesting. Like not everybody goes on to to get their PhD. That was my original intention was to go on and get my PhD, but I got kind of just sidelined along the way life happened, you know, and I chose a different path. Um, I feel really fulfilled by what I do. So, you know, it's interesting because, you know, I don't, I don't, I still get to work with PhDs and I still get to work with all the stuff that, that ICA does all the research. I still get to see all that and be immersed in that all the time um, without having to go up for tenure. (laughs) 
that's such a fascinating topic um, and, and maybe a theme for this discussion mm -hmm. is this relationship between like the business and the organization of an academic community yeah right like we we need we need the two to work well together and and the rules for going through a career are totally different right like like tenure's this weird wacky unique kind of thing yeah. do you have some general lessons about how to cooperate and, and where the synergies are between i mean it maybe in general acad academia and and the organizations that um, kind of facilitate community or maybe specifically in, in, in the field of communication? Yeah, I mean, I think the important thing to always remember, and this came up, I think, on Twitter last week or the week before, somebody had asked for advice for, you know, folks just starting out in their scholarly careers. The first thing that popped into my head was treat everybody well. Somebody had a quote that I loved, which was, we're all smart here. Distinguish yourself by being kind. That really struck me because the, the people who never underestimate what somebody can do for your career. I mean, you should be kind to, to for the sake of being kind. It has an intrinsic value, but, but you'll also get something out of it. You also, I mean, if you're motivated <laughs> by getting something out of it, you will get something out of it. I mean, people do better in their careers when they have built a fan base of everyone they've worked with in the past. Right. You know, they say you could, you can judge somebody by how they treat the waiter or wait staff at a restaurant. Right. If you treat waitstaff poorly or your barista um poorly like i i i just i don't respect you anymore no matter how big a deal you are right and so and that goes for your friendly neighborhood association staff if you <laughs> contact my membership department and you're you're really rude and demanding and condescending to like the membership coordinator at ICA we remember that <laughs> You know, I mean, we're not going to punish you, but we also will bend over backwards to help people who are kind, right? If you treat people poorly, like no one's going to bend over backwards for you in your career. And that goes for other scholars. It goes for, you know, any number of people you're going to encounter. Students these days are so much kinder. I actually think that the younger generation coming up is actually so great at this. <laughs> My daughter actually said to me, I have a teenage daughter, and she said, um, you know, I'm from the generation who will be the first person to call someone out for sexual harassment, but we won't ask somebody to change our coffee order if they get it wrong. <laughs> you know, like, they, they go up about big things, right? But like, they're so kind and polite for little things, but they always do the right thing. And that's, that's what I've found. And that's one of my joys is working with, not that I don't like our senior scholars. I, that's been extremely rewarding to um, work with people like Elihu Katz, for instance, um, and meet somebody that you read about in your textbook when you were 20. <laughs> but the students are really, you know, the future of the association. And so students and early career scholars at ICA are one of my big passions, making sure that they have a whole track of things that they can learn about, you know, blue sky sessions that help them with building their CV and help them with how to interview, how to do a job talk, how to do, you know, we're looking for more and more things like that to help fill out 
the conference experience for them so that they have more networking opportunities and so yeah let's let's talk about conference uh for a oh, moment yeah. um oh there's so many things but well the big announcement is uh viva, viva la conference viva la conference uh yes we will be in paris barring any you know unforeseen new and exciting variant <laughs> that may come along. I mean, you know, you never know. Um, even if nothing had happened up until this point, even if we weren't in a global pandemic, something can happen in April. Something could happen in May. We just, you know, the, um, the world happens. There could be a war just a few thousand miles There could miles be a away. war. I wonder where that might be <laughs> brewing. Yeah. So like, I mean, it's, there's a lot. And we've, when you really think about it, we've had something every single year. So we always persevere, right? We always make it work. Um, we had an earthquake before the conference in Fukuoka, like a month, three weeks before the conference in Fukuoka. Um, you know, the Trump administration's stupid Muslim travel ban was um, <laughs> that I was so angry about uh, really almost kicked in the teeth of our San Diego conference, but we rallied around that, had travel buddies. We did, I called, I personally spoke to people at, at um, embassies to get people's visas. We'll bend over backwards every year trying to make it happen, no matter what thing comes up. There's always a thing. I mean, in Australia, the first thing was the wildfires, yeah. um, the bushfires. And we were like, oh no, what a catastrophic thing. Little did we know that only a couple of months down the road was a pandemic lurking. You know, our virtual conferences have been great. I mean, the 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 one we did last year was extremely well attended and got pretty much rave reviews from people. So we know that we can fall back on that. We're using the same vendor and we know we're asking everyone to pre-record a video anyway. So it can function as a trailer for showing up in person, right? Like you want to hear more about this? Show up in person here, but here's your, here's your video that you've uploaded. But God forbid, if we have to actually cancel again, because things suddenly get very, very bad, then we would already have things online. And so we can pivot to a virtual conference fairly easily were we to have to. But right now it's looking pretty optimistic and it's looking like we won't have to do that. And um, right now we've got pretty good numbers. People are planning to come. I mean, right now, according to the survey that we sent out, we have more people coming during a pandemic in person to Paris than we had in total in San Diego. I do think people really just love their ICA community, not just us like I am not ICA we are ICA so people love seeing the people that they have worked with over the years and I mean there's people like Peter Manji our treasurer who's rotating off this year after many many years um, and former president and for is former president but he like went to his first ICA conference in like 1977 or something I mean he's seen kids come as babies and then grow up and become scholars themselves at ICA. I mean, he, it's, it's insane. The number of people who've built their entire social strata around like ICA is, is really stunning and, and really um, heartening. I mean, it's, it, it's so important to me to, to preserve that and to make sure that it becomes even more inclusive you know, as we go along. So more and more people can feel that way and have that community. So I have a question here. Um, I, I, I completely agree. ICA, uh, the reason to choose 
that one that you go back to is really mm -hmm. for that uh, building community feature. I want to commend you for my lowly vantage. Um, I've always admired your poise as a leader, all of the uncertainties that come along, no less so with the, the pandemic <laughs> um, pivot potentials. Um, but yeah, this, this commitment to building community and facilitating these social interactions um, is super important. And I really, I've always seen ICA as mostly the conference, um, at least in, in my, my, user, my user experience of the yeah. organization. But of course, there are other elements to it. There's the journal, uh, the journals, uh, just a journal support, and then, and then maybe others. So I wanted to ask, how do you allot your your mental resources, like what proportion of your years thinking work activities are dedicated to conference and then to the other stuff? Oh, it's it's funny that you ask that as like a casual question, because it's actually something I have to answer for our auditors every single year. I have to, for every ICA employee, I have to put the percentage and it all has to add up to 100% for everybody. But it's funny wow. because if you just do it off the top of your head mm -hmm. and go, well, I spend this percent on this. It adds up to about 300% for each person. <laughs> it's like it's like lawyers billing for their time, right? My dad will hate that I said that. Um, but the but you know, like there's not enough hours in the day, and I actually when you sit down and do that, I don't know how we get it all done. We only have six and a half people. We have seven humans, but one of them works part-time. So six and a half people. And the fact that we get this much done is insane to me. I, uh, I always imagine the staff to be much larger than it actually is. Yeah. <laughs> so like, it's, yeah, case of- Yeah, and we just added the half one. Like that's new. We've had only six for quite some time. And sometimes we're down, you know, while we're trying to, you know, somebody leaves, we have to replace them. So we're only five and um, they're just- all beasts. I mean, our, the ICA staff are, they're amazing. My, my team is, I just cannot say enough good things and they will bend over backwards to help whoever needs help. You know, like we'll do anything to, to make somebody's experience be positive. The, the amount of work that, that myself put into making the conference go off without a hitch is especially amazing. But so, I mean, I would say probably conference is about 50 to 60%, depending this year on that higher end, because it's been such a constant um, sort of emotional roller coaster <laughs> of what's going to happen. What's this, you know, constantly having to check in on a year when we are kind of just kind of plugging things in and we have this very set schedule and you just plug it into the template and it's just in a different place, then it's more like 50%. But um, this year, probably 60, 65% of my time. Uh, I spend time on uh, journal contracts and things like that, that I work closely with Tom Mankowski on governance issues with Julie Arnold, you know, Jennifer and Katie, Jennifer Lay and, and Katie Wolf do an awful lot of the conference stuff themselves. And I have nothing to do with a whole section of it. <laughs> so even though I spend 50% of my time on it, that's only 50% of what gets done for the conference because the two of them spend hundred percent of their time on it. Well, maybe not hundred. Jennifer also does accounts payable and office management and everybody's got like 17 jobs. So HR stuff and we own our own building. So there's stuff having to do with the building that I have to deal with. There's, um, we have a tenant. So dealing with tenant issues. Okay. So, so I, a, yeah. a plethora, but a plethora. never a dull moment, never a dull moment to shift gears a little bit and talk to the students and junior scholars uh, who were mm -hmm. considering making ICA kind of their academic 
community. What can can they do to kind of maximize the benefit to their academic careers? In joining ICA? Yeah, or, I mean, or like in, in, in participating. Yeah, I would say like when you go to conference, make sure that you hit the ground running, <laughs> look at everything that CCAC is promoting on Twitter. I really think that Twitter has become a, a really valuable place for scholars to for young scholars to look or early career scholars to look for for opportunities we actually you know there's a ccac hashtag and then they have their own icacac at icacac is their um, handle on twitter and i would definitely follow that we have two great ccac chairs this year and we have when you go to conference the best place to hit first is to make sure that you go to the ica new member business meeting and orientation, and then go to the CCAC meeting directly after that, you will learn so much about the organization. And this year at that new member orientation, we're also going to have, we always have every member of the executive committee of the board there. But this year, um, we're talking about having actually like a breakout towards the second half of it, where each of them will just go to a table and you can sit and actually have a dialogue with each of the members of the executive committee, um, anyone that you'd want to talk to. Um, and um, just, just so people understand who are those members oh uh not, ooh, not names but like but not names but roles generally like <laughs> oh yeah so, so the way ica leadership works that there's a board which is the you know the chair of every division and interest group um plus the two ccac representatives plus we've had some board members at large that's sort of a role that's kind of in flux um and then the executive committee members, which includes the treasurer and the treasurer elect right now, because that's about to become Alicia Cohen. And then it had me, I'm a member of the executive committee. And then also it's the presidential line. So it's starts with Yunju Lee, who just got um, elected as president elect select. And then Nash Contractor, who is the president-elect, he'll be president next year. So it's the president-elect select, president-elect, the president, the immediate past president, the past past president and the past 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 president, which we call the president eject. Um, so, <laughs> you know, it's that whole sphere. So you get at any given time, six years. Uh, when you sign up to be the president, you're that's five and a half to six years of service that you're signing up for, which gives a lot of longevity, which is really great. So those are people who are really dedicated to ICA and really know the ins and outs. That's great. That's great. So then being able to communicate with them at this uh, CCAC meeting is, is an important opportunity to kind of see yeah. what's happening. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I would also say at ICA, just it's such a welcoming. I came from a very stodgy medical association. So, it, you know, it's such it was such a breath of fresh air to me. People are fairly casual. People are just happy to be there. They will talk to anyone about what you're interested in talking about. So if you're a student, don't be intimidated. Like go up to the people you're big fans of and tell them that you love their textbook or that you loved the article they did or that the paper they just gave was amazing. No one is going to big time you at ICA. <laughs> Everyone is so great, I find. Everyone's happy to be there and so happy to to help other people. I feel like it's just a really, a really generous community. Of good communicators. Of good communicators. Bye. Yes, well, they communicate whether they're happy or not. So that's it's a, that's a double-edged sword. <laughs> 
if, if I see members are unhappy about something, you will hear about it on Twitter. Um, and that's, you know what, that's great. Cause I'd rather have that than to guess at whether people are happy with how we're doing or not, you know? So sure. I'm a very open communicator. Um, I'm very transparent about here's why we made this decision. Here's the plan. Um, and so I appreciate having that back. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Last question. I, we're both swamped, but you way more than me. Let's end and maybe like a, a PS question, but I would love to hear your take on the contrast between ICA and NCA. Oh, Robbie. <laughs> How am I supposed to answer that? Um, I think NCA is just a lot more US focused. Mm-hmm. Um, NCA also has people come from outside the U.S., but they do a lot of advocacy. Like within the U.S., they have like a a Black caucus. They have actual advocacy on Capitol Hill. They write letters to Congress about certain things. We do not do advocacy within individual governments because we've got members in 87 countries. We'd literally never do anything but that if we were to do that. I have only been to a couple of NCA conferences myself to go to the booth. And I went to one before I even started. That's where I met a lot of ICA members was at an NCA conference at the ICA booth. Uh, me and me and JP Gutierrez were like sitting there eating donuts and talking to people. And I got to meet, uh, you know, tons of people. I met Larry Gross for the first time then. We were taking our journal out for, um, for bid at that time. So I sat in on a lot of those. <laughs> it's very difficult to answer that question. So in let a, me, let me there are things it. that I think our ICA is much better at, but I'm not, I don't want to like, don't want to like harp on those. Yeah. No, yeah, I don't, okay. yeah. So um, maybe about the populations. So students, um, I guess the reason I asked is uh, yes. speaking to students as they kind of define their academic communities as a student myself in a hundred years ago or a couple of decades, I chose ICA to be my home because I guess that's where more of my friends were. <laughs> like that's yeah. in some ways, like maybe that's what it came down to. Um, also, I liked being able to travel to other locations. Also, I was told, though I'm not sure this is actually true, that ICA tended to be a little more quantitatively oriented, whereas NCA was a bit mm. more qualitative. I'm not sure that's true. Yeah. I'm not sure that's true. Um, it might be. I'd love to see an actual <laughs> actual data on that. I, I do get the sense that, I mean, ICA, ha- here's a fact. ICA is more difficult to get into. We yeah. have a lower acceptance rate mm-hmm. than NCA. So that's also a double-edged sword. And um, their, their conference is, is much larger, maybe. It's huge. Oh, my gosh, it's huge. I remember standing in a line for coffee for like an hour and a half at NCA. <laughs> um, and I had to pay for the coffee. It was like the only like little uh, kiosk. I think you have to go for yourself. Just go to both and yeah. and see where you what's your jam. You know, people are you can feel where you feel like you belong and and where you don't. And I, I feel like. Um, you know, our goal is not for ICA to be the biggest conference on earth. We actually kind of like that we're a little more, you know, we're too big to be intimate, really. That's not really the right word. But, you know, we're not a behemoth like expo. <laughs> We've grown exponentially. Like every year we're getting bigger and bigger. Um, that's it becomes difficult because we don't fit in as many places. And I have to sign hotel contracts and convention center contracts like 
at a minimum four years out, uh, more comfortably seven or eight years out um, to really get the good deals. But it's hard to extrapolate, you know, where will we be then? How many people will we have? We are working right now on a contract in Latin America for 2026, which I'm super excited about. I think one of the things people really do like about ICA, as you said, is that we, we go all around the world. Next year's Toronto, Australia after that. Um, and, so, and one thing I really appreciate about ICA, um, which I didn't realize at first, I thought, okay, ICA, I get to travel to other countries, more other countries. That's that's actually a, a priority for me. So that's mm-hmm. why I would choose ICA. But another aspect of the internationalization um, in, in the community and in the organization is to kind of advocate for equity among scholars around the world. I'm not, sh- I'm not sure if other fields do that or recognize that that's an issue, but I, I really admire yeah. that mission as part of the organization. Is there? Thanks. Yeah. I mean, that's become really my, my driving force personally. I mean, that's my personal mission is to make a, a difference in the world and to make the world a better place through my service work. Sometimes service work is actually what you get paid for in your actual job, but you know, that it's one of the things I care very deeply about is making sure that we are inclusive to everyone. I mean, I have a transgender daughter. I've always been a, a big ally in the, in the LGBTQ community, but um, now even more so, she came out this year. So we've, you know, years ago had genderless bathrooms available and we had a nursing room at the conference and um, just making sure we have a quiet room. We have AA meetings. We have a space for that every morning. So just making sure that everybody feels welcome and comfortable. Um, the the big thing now is, I mean, the, the big challenge for Paris and part of the reason that we delayed that decision too is just being really worried that, you know, France had these guidelines and only certain vaccines were acceptable to them, quote unquote. Um, you know, so there are people who consider themselves fully vaccinated where they are, but it's not one of the companies, one of the manufacturers that France recognizes. And so then they wouldn't be able to get in. We don't want to just have this big party in Paris with just people from the Europe, from Europe and the United States, right? And everyone from the global south who, who don't have those same vaccines is just kind of left in the dust, right? Because we, we establish these regional hubs. Oh, yeah, of course. But I we mean, don't want the regional hubs to become this like, oh, well, that's where you're going to go. And yeah, like we're all going to go to Paris and have a party. Yeah. yeah. Um, it just has a very Cinderella feel to it, you know? And so we really- That's tough, like, right? Because the, the motivation behind the regional hubs is, is to promote promote parity promote parity uh, but there's a, an to, opportunity cost potentially yeah and i remember in discussing this with jasmine mcneely she said you know you don't want to ghettoize the regional hubs and make them like you know this is where you belong and this is where everybody else who is from a university that has a lot of money gets to go to the real quote unquote conference you know and so we're trying so hard to integrate both and bring so i created this um Cinema, I'm calling it Cinema Regional, which is in the main conference hall, there'll be like in the convention center, a big movie screen that has captioned all the hubs stuff that they've sent in. I'm having each hub can send in up to three sessions and we'll actually be playing them in the main area of the conference. Um, But, you know, this year has a lot of challenges, translation and I mean, health stuff and 
it's just a million different hurdles that I, I we, we were just joking the other day. We cannot, we don't even remember what it's like to just do a regular conference. <laughs> like, what was that like when we just kind of plugged it into the template every year and did it the same way as we'd done it the year before? And I, and I would feel so stressed back then. And now it's, I know. Oh, yeah. It was always, it was always stressful. It was always a big, you know, I'm like, oh, this is my busiest time of year. I say that from like for nine months out of the year. This is my busiest time. <laughs> and that's gotten small, it's gotten larger and larger. So now there's like maybe two weeks in July when we're not sweating, <laughs> but the rest of it is like so stressful because there's so few people to do so much work. But we get it all done. We have a great sense of humor and and we all truly enjoy what we do and we enjoy our members. I see members are hilarious. I mean, you, of course, more than most, but uh, like the, I mean, the first, I'll end with this story. My, my first week at ICA in, in January of 2016, I was, I I was overlapping with my predecessor, Michael Haley unbeknownst to him. So he's teaching me how to do all the stuff in um, all academic at the time was the program that we used for the conference. And he's teaching me, you know, this is how you schedule something. Here's how you unschedule something. So fairly straightforward. It was a lot clunkier than, than what we've got now. Now we, now I can drag and drop things. It's, it's fairly complex, especially first week, you know, you're drinking water from a fire hose. It's like so many, so much information. And the fir- my first board meeting was at the end of my first week, first board meeting, first executive committee meeting. Ugh. And it was the day that we were going to send out acceptances. Right. And unbeknownst to Michael, <laughs> they had changed something on the back end where you had to click this little hidden radio button to not choose all the people when you were sending out a letter. It was completely not intuitive. So he didn't know. It was like a hidden little button behind something. And so he's like, okay, so you click right here and you send out, first we send out the the people who are disqualified, right? So he's like, so click here, I'll let you do the honors. And I'm like, okay. So I click the button and I told every single person who had submitted that they were disqualified. (laughs) And there was, it was like a disturbance in the force, right? Like you, the gnashing of teeth around the world that So it became, I mean, Twitter wasn't even as big then, but the the people tweeting with the hashtag ICA16, you could still look it up. There were so many jokes about how there were going to be group therapy sessions needed Uh. and that there would be like that ICA17 would have a lot of, um, you know, papers on group rejection and how people deal with it. It was so funny. I mean, I, and I, you know, i I was like, oh, well, and Cynthia Stoll, I remember at the time, she, Cynthia Stoll and Francois Hendricks um, were the head of the committee that hired me. And Amy Jordan was the president at the time. And they were all like, you, they're like, I would have thrown up. I can't believe you're so calm. And I'm like, no, just, I'm going to fix it. We'll send something out and saying, they're like, that's when we knew we picked the right person because you weren't throwing up in the car. I was like laughing at people's tweets. I was like, yeah, sorry. If you start off that, every, everything after that is is gravy, right? Like everything, it couldn't get worse. So it, it just improved from there, I suppose. That's great. That is such a, a healthy attitude um, hmm. and a very effective one. And um, I really, I do appreciate uh, 
this opportunity to talk with you about your leadership because I've always thought you were a great leader of the organization. And even though you're in a different kind of like world, the the association world, I, I, I've taken some lessons from this conversation from my own, like leading my lab teams, not not throwing up when I tell them all they're disqualified. <laughs> from from the just research check before you push a button <laughs> <laughs> i'll try that too laura thank you so much for your time you have a million things to do you have to go negotiate that contract in latin america do you want to tell us what country or should we, woo, should we woo. no i secret? can't that oh, would, that can't. would um, disrupt my negotiations there's a okay. there's a few that we're talking to so okay well uh, i'll put it in the show notes that there's a hint at least that we know it's in latin america <laughs> wink wink notch notch <laughs> see you soon See you soon. Thanks. All right. (laughs) All right. That was our episode with Laura Sawyer. I hope you agree that she's super cool, super fun to hang out with, and also a super boss of the ICA. Hope you had fun with that one. And, And I hope you are inspired to engage with the association and to see what a great force it is for people in the field of communication. This episode was was pretty calm focused and uh, not not all of SpartyCast is. If you listened all the way to the end and you're not a, a calm grad student or professor or maybe undergrad, I'm not sure <laughs> why, but I mean, that's great. Maybe you're interested, maybe you want to be. Or maybe you just forgot to hit stop. Who knows? Anyway, uh, thank you so much to you, listener, for being with us. Thank you to Mia Berghart, our uh, current producer. You know, the SpartyCast, the team, and this uh, podcast has changed a bit. We started really focusing on other non-podcasty things recently. So the SpartyCast team has... Um, been thinking about doing shorts for TikTok, edutainment. Mia has put together some really funny stuff about the metaverse and the Proteus effect and avatars on TikTok and on our YouTube channel. We've we've added a few more people to the team. Uh, Rachel Sharnowski, she's working on the podcast a bit, but she's also working a lot on, on the TikTok. Um, Noah Bush and Michaela... My, I'm, oh, I'm going to say your name wrong. McLays. <laughs> um, that, that's a tongue twister. I didn't realize that until right now. They're helping with writing uh, and, and uh, being more funny in our in our TikToks. So I don't know. Is, is SpartyCast coming to a close with its regular podcasting? Maybe eventually. Maybe sometime in 2022, we will shift entirely to... 75 second quasi funny possibly cringy (laughs) descriptions of why the metaverse and uh, cryptocurrencies are related or how people are psychologically influenced by their avatars maybe that's where we're going Um, or maybe not maybe maybe we we keep this up i mean i love these conversations I don't know if you have an opinion. If you like listening to these conversations, let me know. Shoot me an email and, and then maybe I won't bail on them. But I also like the idea of having an impact through this outreach channel of the Sparty Lab. We do a lot of great research that no one ever reads. So maybe we can learn uh, a bit and then share that knowledge through our research with the world through a channel 
uh, that people might pay more attention to. If you are a listener of this episode, I seriously doubt you've read many of my publications. There, there are a few out there that some people have read a handful, a few thousand maybe at most collectively across every everything I've published. But I know that over a hundred thousand, over three, four hundred thousand have read my publicly oriented kind of news like articles. This podcast is outreach and I'd like to maximize our impact with it. And and so maybe that means moving to TikTok. Who knows? Anyway, it's been fun. Thank you. Thank you, listener. Check us out on the podcast next time when we talk to someone I don't remember, but I know we have another one scheduled. So this is not our last podcast ever. I will announce that uh, when it happens.